0: My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them he addressed this parable. What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he does find it, he sets it on his shoulders with great joy, and upon his arrival home he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or what woman, having ten coins and losing one, would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it? And when she does find it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found the coin that I lost. And just the same way, I tell you, there will be rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here am I, dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast because the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry, and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, For him, you slaughtered the fattened calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. To you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, before I uh, begin my homily, just great to see so many of you again. And uh, for some of the new faces I see out there, welcome. Uh, welcome to our, our mass here on Sunday nights at, here on campus. It's so great that you could be a part of us. And it's so great every week just to have uh, all you guys making time to, to be here to worship God. So thank you for being here. I think we're so conditioned to, to seeing and reading things on the internet that are trending or that go viral that are in fact vile that it's refreshing when the opposite occurs, when people start sharing stories that are uplifting and heartwarming and inspirational. And a few that have popped up the last couple of weeks have really caught my attention. Like this story about a 14 year old's first week of school. Caleb had texted his big sister about his first day at Ridesville Senior High School in North Carolina, saying, I sat alone at lunch and I got lost three times. And he explained further that he had no friends and was being bullied because he was too short, according to those who were picking on him. His older sister Leah, who was away at college, took to Twitter and posted a picture of her brother along with a screenshot of their text message conversation with an appeal saying, retweet to let my baby brother know that he's cool. And while it was nice that the the tweet actually went viral and was liked and retweeted by thousands of people, what was even more meaningful was when an upperclassman named Timothy got a group of seniors to sit with the lonely freshman at lunch and befriended him the next day. The smile on Caleb's face and the joy from his sister responding that she didn't even know these kids from her time in school, but was just so incredibly grateful for the kindness and the attention that her younger brother had received that helped make his transition to high school so much smoother. Or how about this one? A week ago, CNN did a feature on a chess tournament that is specifically for children with disabilities. And it opened with Anna Miller, this 11-year-old who has a maturity way beyond her years, speaking about her disability. She has this condition of brittle bones that results in her experiencing breaks several times a year. And this illness has prevented her from a lot of games and activities that most children her age are used to experiencing but you won't hear her sounding disappointed at the limitations or focused on what she's not able to do. Instead, she very passionately talks about chess, explaining, even though I look small and innocent, I really can unleash everything. I don't ever let them underestimate me. I want them to be afraid of me on that board. And she added that she didn't let her disability limit her, saying, I don't let that define who I am. I let my mind and what I can do define who I am. The tournament features 16 children from eight different countries that have a variety of different disabilities or illnesses, but that wasn't the focus, rather it was on their abilities and their smarts. One competitor who has cerebral palsy and isn't even able to sit in a chair at a table by herself, she's basically held by her mother Her sister explains that at home, she's not able to do a lot of things, so she has a lot of time to think. And chess has opened a whole new world to her. To many observers, it would appear that these kids are limited, and people have unfairly judged them to have something wrong with their brains, that they couldn't be intelligent people. But the director of the tournament pointed out that is so far from the truth. With just a little attention, and some assistance. you see these kids thriving in ways that their families could never have imagined before, had never witnessed up until that point, to now they're becoming some of the best chess players in the entire world. One final one. There's a story of a man named Nicholas Winton, who as a young man back in 1939, on the eve of World War II, risked his life by providing safe passage... For children from Czechoslovakia to Britain. It was an unknown story for over 50 years had passed and he never spoke about it but in the late 1980s his wife found in their attic an old scrapbook filled with pictures and documents of the children that he saved. A British television network learning of the story invited him to be a member of the audience for their program called That's Life. Unbeknownst to him, he was the life that they were highlighting that evening. The host explained what Nicholas had done and how he had basically been responsible for saving over 600 children. And then she highlighted in the scrapbook the name of one child named Vera Gissing and surprised Nicholas saying, she's here with us tonight. And in fact, she was sitting right next to him. And you could see the shock on his face as tears were streaming down it, recognizing one of the children that he helped to save. But they weren't done. He had barely composed himself when the announcer said, is there anyone else here tonight that owes their life to Nicholas Winton? And at this, the whole section of the audience who were seated around Nicholas and his wife stood up. Revealing over 20 other people that he helped save. In the internet world, in the Twitterverse, which is usually defined by how outrageous or guttural people can be towards one another, these stories stood out almost like oases or mirages from all those nonstop streams of negativity. And as I looked and saw how these heartwarming stories had been shared thousands and thousands of times, it made me wonder how or why they were able to break through in such a, a challenging medium as social media can be. What makes them special and what grabs the attention of so many people as they scroll through their feeds and makes them stop and watch and listen to these stories is that they, they speak to some universal desires to be noticed, to be acknowledged, to be cared for, to be worthy of love, real love that, that costs something, love that's sacrificial, love that's offered not with the desire or expectation of repayment, but just offered freely and given out of complete selflessness genuinely putting the other person before oneself. That's the common theme between all those stories, whether it was a a group of kids just helping a freshman adjust to high school, or individuals who made an effort to help find a way for disabled children to experience genuine connection, or their heroism and courage of one man saving hundreds of people's lives. All of them Demonstrated by the power of the gift of love in very varied and dramatic ways. And viewing them, you could, you could appreciate how important each of these gestures were, every one of these experiences were for those who received that gift of love. They were transformed by that gift of love. It strikes me that to, to a lot of people, that experience of love seems to be viewed as a rare thing that people kind of view these stories as happening to just a, a very few fortunate people. So much so that stories seem so unique that when they occur, they do go viral and they do trend. Like people are saying, oh, look at this person who just won the parable lotto jackpot worth half a billion dollars. But honestly, I don't, I don't believe that they're that rare. It's just that we become conditioned not to see them as we sift through avalanches of negativity. And not that some of those negative stories aren't real, but I think we're so used to focusing on all that's wrong in the world and all that's wrong in our own worlds that we forget the potential for goodness that each and every person is capable of. And we can take for granted and miss all the examples and experiences of love that people offer us on a regular basis. And worse yet is how this eclipse of love has warped people's understanding of God. Maybe because we've heard or we've seen or had an experience of some negativity in the church that it can obscure what is so essential to what it means to be a Christian. And that's why this gospel in some ways stands out in a very dramatic way, like one of those viral stories from the Internet. Because what's at the heart of this most beautiful gospel passage is that in Jesus Christ, each and every one of us experiences how God sees us. Jesus makes it clear that you are noticed, you are acknowledged, you are cared for, you are worthy of love. That's what's so moving about this, this passage I get the sense that that Jesus is trying to find the words. He's almost frustrated trying to explain to those first listeners how it is that our our triune God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how he looks at each and every one of us. And so he he uses these metaphors where he's trying to explain it to us. So he starts, say there's a hundred sheep, and one gets lost, and the shepherd is just so anxious and so worried that he leaves the 99 to go search for that one. Or say that a woman has 10 coins and she loses one and she's so mindful of that one that she turns her house upside down to try to find it. Jesus is almost excited saying, you're that sheep, you're that coin, you're that important, you're that much on God's heart and mind that he doesn't stop searching. But it's like Jesus is thinking to himself, that doesn't quite capture it. Sheep aren't rational, logical beings. Coins are inanimate objects. They can't be blamed for becoming lost. So he goes a step further and says, even if we're ungrateful or inconsiderate or self-centered, even when we take advantage of God's goodness and his generosity and his mercy, when it would be understandable to think that's it, we've exhausted his patience, we've tapped out, On our favors. It's completely our fault that we're lost and we've maxed out of excuses and opportunities. Jesus responds to those negative thoughts with a story that's been somewhat misnamed as the prodigal son, when in fact it's really the loving father. The loving father doesn't ever believe that we're done. The loving father knows how we've screwed up many. Maybe many, many times to the point of complete embarrassment and shame. The loving Father sees the the heaviness in our hearts, that negativity that we beat ourselves up with. And the loving Father is anxiously waiting for us to make that turn towards him. That even when we feel that we're a long way off, as soon as the Father catches sight of us returning to him, he's filled with compassion and he can't wait He runs towards us. He so knows us that we can't even finish our words of apology. He's already excitedly forgiven us and embraced us. Jesus' original listeners included people who didn't think this was possible. They were too conditioned into negativity in the world and in their own worlds. What prompts Jesus' description of God's love for all creation is the the Pharisees complaining that Jesus welcomes and eats with sinners. They don't even refer to Jesus by name. They call him this man. In their criticism, in their objections as they zero in on the, the negative judgments they have of others, they've allowed the love of God to be eclipsed in their own lives. They deny that they too are sinners and they're in need of God's mercy. And so their experience of true love and how transformative it is in their lives is also eclipsed. They will refuse to receive this good news. And sadly for some of them, that hardness of heart will make them members of a murderous mob demanding Jesus's death on the cross. Jesus's resurrection vindicates for all eternity that the love of God is more powerful than the darkest, evilest designs that any soul or demon can ever design. And as we come forward to to receive Jesus' body and blood in the Eucharist, that has to sink into the deepest core of ourselves. He has been actively searching for you, like the shepherd for that one sheep. He hasn't stopped trying to find you like that woman turning her house upside down for that one coin. He hasn't stopped looking for you, longing for you, anxiously waiting for you to return as the father embraces that wayward son. May we allow that truth to embrace us. May that transformative love change us. And may we receive Jesus and become him to a world in desperate need of him.